church. Good morning if you're in Alma or in St. John's or online and right here in Mount Pleasant. Good to see everybody. I just got back off uh, a few days of vacation and you know there's certain things you're concerned about when you're gone like what will be there when you get back. And uh, I came back and I came to the door and we have a wonderful security system here in our doors. It's the kind of thing that requires an app, okay, because there's an app for everything. And I came and I put my hand against the door because I had my phone in my pocket and it's supposed to just do the circle and come on and beep, now you can come in. Well, it didn't. Didn't open. And I'm thinking there's subtle ways to get rid of someone. (laughs) So I took out my phone and I looked at it and it said, Two words that I really detest, access denied. (laughs) And I started thinking, why is my access denied? Well, you either didn't put in your name right, your password right. I mean, this is getting ridiculous. So I went to another door and it worked. (laughs) But where did all this begin, this access denied? Don't you just dislike those words? I'm playing it down some because I really can't use the word I want to use for how much I detest access denied. Well, it started actually in the Garden of Eden. You see, it's a product of sin. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, when they made the decision that they would do what he said they should not do, and then God confronted them, they confessed, he forgave He covered their sin, but then what did he do? He put them outside paradise, outside that garden that he had prepared for them. And he put these two angels with flaming swords in front of it. And I'm just assuming one of them was named Access and the other denied. (laughs) Because there was just no way to get back into the presence of God. Sin does that. It separates us from God. When God came to Moses, he said, here's how I'm going to be with you, Moses. You're going to build for me a tent of meeting, a tabernacle out in the wilderness. It's going to be 150 feet long and 75 feet wide. And inside that, on the western end, you're going to have this long tent inside the tent, and it's going to be 30 feet long and 15 feet wide, but at the end of that is where I will dwell when I come to see you, and that's a little place that's 15 by 15 by 15. It's a square. And what's inside that square? It's the Ark of the Covenant. And in that ark were the Ten Commandments, and that ark was covered in gold. And on top of that ark were two golden angels, seraphim, whose wings touched, and they supported it. And it was in this location that God said he would show his presence. Now, God can't be contained, but he came in his presence to that place. And in that place, only once a year... Yom Kippur was a time when the high priest was allowed to enter on the other side of this huge veil. Now, this veil 
they say is a width of a hand, approximately four inches thick. When it got dirty, it took 300 priests to handle it, to clean it, and put it back up. There is a story that if you put horses on both ends of the veil and pulled in opposite directions, you could not tear the veil because it was made of these cords that were so intricately wound together and these patches that were sewn together. It was an amazing representation of that which separated God from us. Well, that access was denied us because of our sin. But everything changed with the cross. Everything changed when Jesus willingly allowed himself to be arrested, to be persecuted, to be placed on a cross. At nine in the morning, he's on that cross. At noon, we hear that cry, why have you forsaken me? And then at three o'clock in the afternoon, the very time that in the temple in Jerusalem, the sacrifice would be made, Jesus says these words, into thy hands I commit my spirit, and he died. At the very moment he died, look what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 27. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and there's more information about what happened. It was the moment in history when we finally understand that access is no longer denied, now access, access is applied. We are given the privilege and the opportunity to come into the presence of God. For the last few weeks, we've been talking about Paul's letter to the believers in Ephesus. And in Ephesians, in those first few chapters, he's talking about the beauty of God, the beauty of the church, and the unity of the church. And just last week, Pastor Aaron touched at the end of his message on the whole concept of this veil being rent, being torn in two. So we build on that today to talk about what happens when that veil is rent. What really do we now have available to us? Let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, what Paul suggests. He says, in him, meaning Jesus, and through him, through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you'll be rooted and established in love. Because we have free access to God now, we should approach him, as Paul is telling us in this passage, with three thoughts in mind. That our faith, which is in Jesus, can become a bold faith. That there's a boldness that we approach with now. That secondly, there is a strengthening to that faith that takes place when we go boldly into the presence of God. 
And then thirdly, there is a limitlessness to that faith. There's no limit to how great our faith can become in him. So let's explore those today. And let's start by saying this. Realize that here was God's representation in this 15 by 15 section. Some would say that God was boxed in. Well, that's an impossibility because he's everywhere at all times. But still, the representation was that he was boxed in. We were boxed out. But no longer do we have that problem. So we have the right to approach him with boldness. Verse 12, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Boldness means the liberty of speech. It means confidence. I can ask my God anything. You can do. You can ask him anything you want to ask him. Now, if you're asking, here are some of the the rules of asking to guarantee you that you're going to get some kind of an answer. First of all, whatever you're asking for, it needs to ultimately glorify God. Secondly, it needs to in some way support or advance the kingdom of God, the church of God. And thirdly, it needs to edify you. You need to become stronger with the result of that prayer. Now, you don't ask frivolously. You don't just come in and say, well, God, you know, I, I don't have this. I need that. I want this. Can I have that today? Unless that for which you're asking meets those criteria. And what were they again? You're going to glorify God, expand the kingdom, and edify me. So when I go to him, I could be praying for my family, which will glorify him. And if my family is, is hurting and they need strength and they need ministry done to them, then it's going to edify them and it will ultimately advance the kingdom. So with that in mind, I want to be able to go into God and talk to him anytime I feel like that. Before Christ died, we didn't have that privilege. There was no way to get into the presence of God. And one of the problems we have today is people think that they can get to God without going through Christ. I'm not talking about technically saying in Jesus' name. I'm saying unless you are hidden in Christ, unless Christ is a part of your life, unless he is your Lord and your Savior, then your access to the Father does not exist. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except through me. So you and I have this Holy Spirit. If we've accepted Christ into our lives, the Holy Spirit lives in us. And he is the one who takes our prayers into the presence of the Father. And so that I am transported spiritually into that holy of holies, into the very presence of God, where as a father, he's listening to what I have to say. You can't work your way to get there. It's not possible. But you can get there if he's your father. Linda and I have three daughters. And their access to me is unlimited. I don't care when they call. I don't care what time it is. I don't care what the need is. It just, none of those things matter to me. If my phone rings, 
And I look at it, and it's the name of one of my daughters, or of course, my wife. Uh, I'm going to answer it. No matter where I am, no matter what kind of meeting I may find myself in, because they are more important to me than anything I can do. They come first. My, my Jesus is first. My Jesus in my marriage is first. My Jesus with my children is first. And then my Jesus with you. I love you. And I love my children. And I love my wife. And I love my Jesus. But I have a priority for them. And so in that priority, I have placed them high on the list. And I said, anytime you need anything, give me a call. Anytime you just want to talk, give me a call. So I get a phone call. You know, can you watch the dog? I mean, anytime, anything. <laughs> yeah, I'll figure it out. If it's going to benefit you, if it allows you to do something that glorifies God, then I can glorify God by being a parent, by being a father like I'm supposed to be. Well, just think, if I'm willing to give my children access to me, how great is our God that he gives all of us in here open, free access to him through what Jesus Christ accomplished. When that veil was torn away, we were given the right to be bold, to come into his presence. Now, let me give you a side note here. If you really want to get his attention, use the Bible to pray. Use his word because you know what? The only opinion God loves is his own. And if I take the word of God and I turn it toward my prayer needs and I speak the word back to him, if I'm saying things like, Lord, I am concerned over something, but you said I should not fear for you've given me a spirit of power and love and a sound mind and self-control, then please apply those to my life today. That prayer is going to be answered. I don't necessarily know how it'll be answered, but it will be answered. Why? Because it's going to glorify him. I'm, I'm lifting the word to him. I'm saying, you promised this. So you should deliver what you promised, God. And I'm your child. And I love your son, Jesus. And I'm a joint heir with him. So all these things are mine. So I'm asking, Lord, would you take away my concern, my fear, my doubt? And in whatever fashion he chooses to move in his universe, he will do that. And then I need to receive it. My access has been granted, and I know that he will answer my prayer. Now, it took me a long time to get there. This was not an easy journey, like one day I accepted Christ, the next day I was boldly in his presence. No, not at all. Why? Because I had a terrible earthly father. My mother and father were divorced when I was three. I only saw him probably four, maybe five times in my life. And each time had a negative, devastating effect on me. And perhaps the most traumatic was the promise he made to me after we went to a Cubs baseball game in Chicago and I was about 10 years old. He said, I'm going to send you a Cubs uniform. Well, I'm living in Georgia, and for the next month, every day at 10 o'clock, 
I walked out to the post office box and I pulled it down and there was nothing in there for me every day, 30 days in a row until finally I realized he deceived me. He didn't say or what he said he did not accomplish. He did not do what he promised. So if an earthly father established that kind of relationship with me, can you imagine, some of you can, how hard it is when I didn't believe in the one I could see to be challenged to believe in the one I could not see. It was very difficult for me to understand faith. But then God began working. And over time, every time he showed up through his faithfulness, I realized, wow, he said it and he did it. He's a faithful father. And so now I know I can go boldly into the presence of my faithful father. I've forgiven my earthly father. But now I can come into the presence of one who will receive me through that boldness because it's not an arrogant boldness. It's a safe boldness because I'm his child. If it were not for his loving kindness, we would be consumed. But each morning, his mercies are new. Great is his faithfulness unto us. That's my life verse, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Because I really believe that. I believe that each morning when I rise, I have to have new faith for today. I cannot live on yesterday's faith. I can't live on the faith of anyone else. It's the faith God has given me, and so I need to renew it this morning. And so I get up and I say, you're, you're new today, Lord. I'm new here today. I need my faith built and established. And so I boldly go into you. But then Paul continues. He said, not only do you go in with boldness, but look at what he says. We approach him with greater strength. Verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. God wants to strengthen every molecule that you have. He wants to give you strength in every arena of life in which you move. But you're the one that has access to him, so you have to go to him to get that strength. One pastor many years ago wrote this. He said, there are no rooms of the house of your spirit into which he is not to go. In other words, you have to give him access to every room in your house. Let him come and with the master key in his hand into the dim chambers of your feeble nature. And as life is light in the eye and color in the cheek and deafness in the fingers and strength in the arm and pulsation in the heart, so he will come and strengthen your understandings and make you able for loftier tasks of intellect and reason that you can face in your unaided strength. And he will dwell in your affections and make them vigorous to lay hold upon holier things that are above their natural inclination and will make it certain that they, their reach shall not be beyond 
be beyond your grasp. Here's what he's saying. When you let God in, you walk into him boldly and you say, okay, God, I'm here. All of me is here. Take me and just do whatever you want to do. That he will come into you and he will work in every facet of your life to strengthen you to the point that nothing is beyond your grasp to live this life. And you live it with the knowledge of the life yet to come. That's what makes this life so exciting, is that this life is where we are used of God to advance his kingdom, and then we're going to go into that eternal kingdom forever and ever on a new earth. I mean, I just can go on and on about that because I get so excited because access is not denied. It's applied. So we get this strength from God. Well, what happens when we gain that strength? There is an ever-increasing power that comes to you. There is a power in prayer. Paul will speak later and we'll talk on it later in Ephesians 6 about the fact that prayer is our weapon. Prayer is how we overcome all things because it's our plea to a holy God to use all of his resources to help us. So there's power in prayer. There's power in a spiritual battle. We don't war against one another. We don't war against flesh and blood. We war against principalities and powers of darkness. That's where our real battle exists. And he gives us power there. He strengthens us in the inner being to fight against that. And we have power against the evil one. There was an old pastor from England Smith Wigglesworth, and Smith, one night, being filled with the Holy Spirit as he always was, was asleep, and he woke up and he looked in the corner, and he says, I saw Satan himself sitting in the corner. And he said, I looked at him and said, oh, it's just you, and I went back to sleep. That's power and strength. That's power in prayer, that's power over the devil, and it gives you power over yourself, when you have God's strength, then you are able to resist those things that are coming against you because Jesus has already gained the victory. We have the victory through him. So how do you do that? How do you get that strength? It's not by what you do outside. Strength doesn't come from outside. Here's what someone said. You begin at the center, not the circumference. You don't start with the outside. You don't begin by trying to change the life outside, thinking that's going to change you. No, you have to change your motive for life from the inside out. What is your motive in life? It should be to glorify God and enjoy him forever. One pastor said to glorify God by enjoying him forever. That's what your motive is. Your motive is, is not to earn, to gain, to oversee, to rule. Your, your motive is all about God because that was his mood, motive. His motive was all about you. He sent Jesus Christ for you, for me. And if you're not in Christ, then you're missing the whole point of life because life has no meaning apart from Jesus Christ. But in him, we find fulfillment. So if you're not in him, you need to come to him. There's just nothing to keep you from it. 
Uh, there is granted access, free access. Just apply that access. Come in and say, God, take over my life. And then yield to him and watch what he will do. Paul says not only do we have this boldness and this strength, but we also can approach him with limitless faith. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Faith produces confidence. Confidence produces boldness. Boldness produces strength, and strength brings you right back around. It's a cyclical process that we go through. And there are three stages that we find in these. They are these. First, you must believe the promises of God. Do you believe it? Do you believe that what God has said is really true? That all of the scripture is God's love letter to us, that it's truth. There's no error in the scripture. Everything that's in those 66 books was written for our benefit to present to us who Jesus Christ is. Now, I believe that. And secondly, I have confidence in that, that not only is it true, but it's living. It has a heartbeat that everything that God has said to you, every promise that he has made to you is for you. Every promise in scripture is yours. Every single one of them. You don't have to pre-qualify. Christ did that for you. And so you just claim those promises of God, knowing with confidence and boldness that they're true. And then what happens is all of the, the fear is banished. All fear is taken away. And no longer do you live by fear because fear is a lack of faith. Faith overcomes fear. When you have that kind of strong faith, then you'll be able to do what God's called you to accomplish. Romans 5, first two verses. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith, into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. I have great faith. Now that is not a prideful statement. My faith was given to me as it was to you as a gift. For by Grace we have been saved through faith, and this is the gift, what the grace and the faith. They are gifts from God. And then that faith is developed and built and shaped and formed over the years of our interaction with him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And as Paul said, and I certainly agree, I am persuaded, convinced, that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him, my faith, my life, against that day when Christ returns. I'm convinced of it. There's nothing you can do or say, nothing in history that can change my mind. Because I am sealed in him through his Holy Spirit. Now, I measure my faith, and this is what's so important. Listen carefully. I measure my faith by his faithfulness. 
Every time he is faithful to me, my faith increases because I see a faithful God. I told you we were recently on vacation. Our, our daughters had decided to help us celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary a year early because they said we had both been so sick they wanted to make sure they had the opportunity to do that. Now, what a loving group of kids. So they took us to Italy, and we were in Rome, and we were going to take a train to Florence. Now, you have to understand this train system is not Amtrak, you know, praise God. It is, it is a better system. It is an amazing system, but it runs right on the clock. It's never late. You have seven minutes to get all your luggage on by yourself and get to your seat, and the door's closed. That's it. But you've got to wait for the people who are coming off. So there goes three minutes. So now you've got four minutes. And you've got three bags, close to 50 pounds each. And you've got three carry-ons. And then you got the purse and the purse, and then I didn't have a purse. And you have to run to the platform because the train comes in, and you need to be in front of the car number that they said you're going to be boarding. So if you're in car number six, you got to get to the platform where it's six. It stops, the doors open, the people flood out. Well, as we're walking, I'm praying, God, you are so faithful. You are so good. God, you know. I cannot lift these 50-pound bags up about this high to put them up on that platform. I can't do that. I need help. And I know that my wife can't do that. So, Lord, thank you ahead of time for helping me out. However you're going to do it. If you want to give me the extra measure of strength to do that today, you know, all right. I'll do it, God. I'll do whatever you want. So... We get to the platform, and my daughter goes up, and I reach to pick up the first bag, and this guy walks up. He said, I'll take care of that for you. Uh, sure, go ahead. He takes all three bags up. He puts the carry-ons up, and I reached in my pocket, and I, I pulled out some euro. He said, oh, no, man, I, I don't want anything, and he walked off. <laughs> I'm going out loud, praise God. <laughs> you know, people are turning. I'm saying, because that's God's faithfulness. That's his faithfulness. And so my faith was built again. So I get on, you know, and I stroll down. I sit down and we go for an hour and a half and it's time to get off. Well, now it's the reverse. Now you got to run down the steps and turn around and get all the bags. And so I go down the steps first and I turn around. There's a guy on the train coming this way and he sees my daughter with the bags. He said, let me take care of that for you. Well, of course he will because God is faithful. I didn't know these two people, but these were two wonderful people that I know God put there. I'm not saying they were angels. I'm saying they were people that God used for his kingdom. My God is faithful even in the little things, especially when you're living your life to glorify him. And that's what we're doing, church. A trembling hesitating, doubting conscience is evidence of unbelief. But a firm, steady faith is invincible because God has put it there. Rise up and declare your faith everywhere you go. You are children of God. He is your Father. Let's pray. Lord, thank you 
for your faithfulness to us. It's new each morning how wonderful you are. We praise your name. And Lord, today we pray that as we leave this place, you will give us a new boldness to come into your presence and that that will give us the strength to live this life because each of us face amazing difficulties day in and day out, Lord. Every one of us in here has needs and we need you to continue to be faithful and we know you will be. So Lord, let us rejoice in your presence and let us live life for you. We give you all the praise, all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go and have a blessed week.